0: Company Watch Financial Analytics.
1: Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick.
0: <laughs> Good morning, Joe.
1: We're recording today's episode on Friday the 3rd of July. Um, A couple of things have caught my attention this week. So first, um, we had Andy Haldane's relatively upbeat speech on Tuesday. Now, Haldane is the chief economist at the Bank of England and the only one of the Monetary Policy Committee to vote against the additional 100 billion of quantitative easing in June. He is sticking to this V-shape prediction, and that's where the economy has a deep hit, as we saw in the April figures of the 20.4% fall in GDP, which came on the back of the 5.8% fall in March, but then bounces back relatively quickly. But there was a pretty big caveat in what he said, which is that the recovery is really going to be determined by consumer confidence and spending. So any surge in unemployment could derail the recovery quite dramatically.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's interesting, Joe, that um, uh, Alison Rose, the CEO at NatWest, was on the Today program this morning, um, pouring quite a lot of cold water on that particular forecast. I mean, she wouldn't say that the was wrong, but she was indicating that they were they were planning on an entirely different basis.
1: Yeah, and so. I think that that is interesting, isn't it? Because I think so. That was the, the speech then on Tuesday, and this week the second big theme that, that's really caught our attention this week is the. Awful bleak outlook for jobs. Um, so, if we're saying that the, the Bank of England's um, recovery is predicated on this consumer confidence and, and basically kind of lack of unemployment, actually, the, the figures this week are calling that into quite a lot of doubt. So, the, the current count, I think, is around 12,000 um, job losses announced this week, with 6,000 in retail alone um, announced on, on Wednesday. And research on The Guardian indicates that, that COVID is responsible for nearly 70,000 job losses either announced or um, planned over the next few months in the UK. Um, and that's for around about 30, 30 large uh, companies. And now in percentage terms, out of the employed workforce of around 32, 33 million, those 70,000 is about 0.2% um, of the workforce but I think the thing we've really got to remember is that more than nine million people are on furlough, and that's a quarter of the workforce. And if there's any doubt that those nine million jobs won't exist when furlough comes to an end in October, which the government has made very clear that that furlough will end in October, um, then that starts to look like a huge, a huge
0: problem. Yeah, yes, and actually, interestingly, the, the there's a wonderful. Um, Website called Who's Gone Bust in Retail, which since 2007 has been tracking major retail failures, and they've just come up with their figures for the first six months of 2020, Mm -hmm. and the first six months of 2020 are already worse in terms of the number of stores affected and the number of retail jobs affected than the whole of 2019, and in terms of jobs than 2018 so they reckon that 49,000 retail jobs have been affected in major failures so far this year
1: and that's just failures isn't it so that doesn't include any of these job losses from retailers who are continuing to trade it is just those those
0: failures just those I mean they won't all be lost because some of these shops will will find new owners Mm -hmm. but I mean that just shows the sheer scale of the whole thing.
1: And we talked again about um, in in the past that the predominantly affected younger women and the unskilled jobs in this. So it's a a kind of big social um, issue as well as well here. Yes, it is. Um, And then the final thing that I just wanted to to, to pick up on um, is really important for anybody who's using company information to assess risk. And that's that following the enactment last week of the Corporate Insolvency and Governance Act, Companies House has now unilaterally extended filing periods for all companies whose filing deadlines are between the 27th of June 2020 and the 5th of April 2021. Now, I understand that the motivation behind this is to try to remove red tape But it really isn't good news for anyone who's extending trade credit or making other lending decisions. Because by allowing this extension, it means that limited companies will now have a full 12 months after their year-end to file accounts at Companies House. But it's a kind of lack of joined-up thinking here because corporation tax payment deadlines haven't changed. So I was looking. I spent quite a while looking at the government website on this. And for companies with less than 1.5 million in reportable profits, which is about 90% of companies, according to the last figures I can see, they will still have to pay their corporation tax nine months and one day after their period end. And so surely they will have to have submitted or have prepared accounts um, with their accountants to know what they will pay. Um, so it seems a bit peculiar that those accounts then can't just be submitted to company's house and I think that this lack of information again is going to serve to undermine the confidence on which trade credit operates. Um, so obviously all our users have got access to the Covid forecast H score which we've applied um, industry-based scenarios to individual risks so I'd urge you really to review your critical risks um, and we've also produced a webinar Um, And a short guide on how to evaluate small companies, which file very limited information at Companies House. So um, those those things are all available on our website. So please get in touch if you'd like to see them. So I think with those three themes circling at a high level, Nick and I thought that it would be useful to reflect on the context of some of the soft signals in risk management um, and use your... Fast experience, Nick, <laughs> having been on both sides of the room on this. Um, and to discuss the issue of trust, I think, in a world where businesses are fighting for, for survival.
0: Yes, I mean, I really had two angles on this. Um, the, the, the first one is not so much to do with trust as to, as to understand the impact that people have on risk as opposed to the numbers. The numbers are relatively straightforward for all their limitations. Um, People, however, are infinitely variable. And, you know, you look at these, this awful slew of job cuts being announced right across the economy. And the questions that came into my mind were, how will a generation of managers, the one we've got now, who've only ever learnt how to grow businesses, adapt quickly enough to the very different skill sets that you need to shrink them. You know, and I can tell you, in 20-odd years of, uh, as an insolvency practitioner and having been CEO of a couple of listed companies before that, um, uh, shrinking businesses is not easy. Growing them is relatively straightforward for all the risks of over-trading, but shrinking them is a, is a different matter. And one of the things that happens as you begin to uh, make a business smaller is there is a real conundrum it 's what in hr terms is, is referred to sometimes as as the baby out with the bathwater problem that what happens when you cut a company in size, you cut people of course, of course. you tend to overcut <clears throat> because that 's the headline thing to do, and inevitably particularly in in this day and age where you know, management, even in this pandemic, will try to get voluntary cuts as opposed to imposing compulsory redundancies, is you tend to lose the good people because yeah. they are the people that can move because they have the skills. And so if you're careful, what you end up with is a, 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 a I hate to use that, overused phrase dumbing down but you end up with a with a, particularly in middle management and and you know you end up with less talented people and you lose those sort of rising stars who look at what's happening with the business they're in and say oh, maybe this is not what I signed up for and if they can move they will they they will and I
1: suppose as well that's exacerbated by the fact that all of us have been at home for long periods and have had chance yeah. to reflect on you know the, the, what's important in in life, and I guess that there will be some talented people who think, Well, actually, I could work from home ongoingly. And if the, if the businesses aren't prepared to make those other changes and are yeah. looking at trying to get back into the office and trying to kind of just yeah. return to normal. Yeah. Um,
0: and, and of course, you've, you've got the problem that uh, you know, the third leg of this, um, what happens with change that's going the wrong way to management skill uh, set, is. You know, from a from a risk perspective, is the slim down business the same credit or supply chain risk that their historic numbers of the larger bloated entity would would suggest? That, All right, you can you know you can model. Thank goodness, you know you can use the, the uh, modelling facility on the on the CW um, system, and you can look at that. But I would suggest to you that you need to just think also about the soft side. Yeah,
1: the, so the soft
0: signals as you put it so elegantly and just think is this the same management team because ultimately they're the people behind your risk.
1: Mm. And so, It comes back to talking to people isn't it? Yes, it's it always does. surprising how um you know when when we get asked about you know the the scores that we've given to a particular business um you just think well you actually need to go and talk to your yeah. um, talk to your customer and it's surprise, it's amazing how much people want to engage actually or yeah. talk to your supplier and and there is a willingness to to share yeah. in this 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 kind of sense of because often relationships are built over over a number of years, and there is much more willingness to share once you've built up that trust over yeah. a period
0: i agree i agree and now the my, my other sort of um, <sighs> Profit of doom um, moment uh, this week is um, we talked in in the episode recorded on Monday about the go outdoors prepack you know where you know the um, JD sports rammed it into administration, bought it back straight away, and effectively shafted the landlords on the way. Mm. okay, so there's been an awful lot of this sort of stuff going on. Not involving such overt manipulation of the insolvency system, but nonetheless, it's been going on. You know, we've all been following the landlords and the um, and, and the tenant uh, issue. But it, it, it made me, and, and I see already there are there are copycat pre uh, packs going on. Um, Tm Lewin That's yesterday, another, sweet, one, yeah. another one, and I see what's happening with for example, the casual dining group, which finally staggered into administration weeks and weeks, if not months, after first filing a notice of intention to appoint an administrator. Um, This is the group that uh, runs Cafe Rouge, uh, Bella Italia, um, Las Iguanas, the Mm -hmm. the casual mid-market dining chains. Now, that's gone into administration, and my understanding is that the bidders for the component parts, what will be left of them, are all private equity groups mm. now, I think my view about private equity and their morals um, is well is well known, but it, what it leads me to say to our audience you know whether you're uh, it's a supply chain issue or it's a credit risk is who can you trust in business in these troubled times? Who can you trust because of course what you will Find is that in difficult times, you know, people are very pressurized. It really is every person for themselves. And you know, business people are there to protect um, their stakeholders' interests, their shareholders, their own positions, of course. And they and they they will behave badly in some cases. Um there are all sorts of issues about where this le- leads us down the track in a year or two years' time when people yeah. remember how people behave. That's maybe for another <laughs> That's another, another time.
1: episode. Yeah,
0: another time. But um, uh, you know, and another okay. example of this is is the um, there's a pub chain of some 700 um, uh, pubs which is ultimately owned by an extremely wealthy billionaire pair of brothers, um, where they have been harassing the landlords of pubs that have been shut for months to pay rent, you know, and, and, and only started to behave better once it once it made um, the uh, BBC six o'clock news. It's very
1: interesting. It's, so It's hard, isn't it? Because I think, as we were saying about the, the those kind of individual relationships you have between your customer and your supplier, it is about trust and about good faith. And I think it's almost a kind of spiral to the bottom in a way. Once Once people see... How companies can can use a system in a legal but perhaps not really very ethical way, then you know, in pressure times, you look at those examples and think, well, that's okay, yeah. and, and and you can spiral down into that that race at the
0: bottom. See, you see, my view, though, know, is that um, right now, what's getting the headlines is you know the big headline out of the Go Outdoors prepack was you know the the um, JD Sports said, well, it's it was to force the landlord's hands, um, in, in order for us to get a better uh, a better deal. So all the publicity is it's the old landlord, it's the it's the big bad landlord thing. But you know, I've done prepacks, I've done lots of them when I was an insolvency practitioner. It isn't just landlords that get hurt. It, there will be other creditors other stakeholders who get damaged, mm. and their only protection in that sort of manipulation is if they happen to be lucky enough to be a ransom supplier. Or so service they need provider, them to carry on. They the need them to, to carry on, and then, and then they will. They will get paid. Yeah. They will. But um, you know, even then, I'll bet you if they get paid, they'll be asked to lower their prices because that's what new, uh, new exploitative owners post prepacks mm. do. They just shake the tree and see see exactly what what value can they can get out of it. That's what they're in it, in it for. And I guess just to sort of pull it all together, um, let's go back to the private equity point. Um, and and I I always remember that was it um, uh, was it somebody from the from the Fed many years ago who said um, you know when the tide goes out um, in, in in a recession you find out who's who's swimming with no trunks on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think what very associated to what Warren Buffett is a very... It probably, <laughs> was, Warren, it probably <laughs> was Warren Buffett. Yeah. But I would actually say that what we're seeing now is as, 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 the, as the tide goes out and as the pool shrinks, the water level drops, you're, you're going to see the sharks, the commercial sharks that are swimming in the pool. And you need, as a, as, as, a, mm-hmm. as a risk taker at the other end of a relationship with companies in this situation, you need to be aware of who you're going to, um, where your risk is going, where your ultimate mm-hmm. risk is going. And it's the old thing of, um, you know, what I've said to people on a number of occasions, the problem with something like private equity taking a bigger and bigger chunk of certain industries, troubled industries, is when they take over, your risk disappears offshore. Okay, I know okay, I'm biased about it. Mm. You know, there's no visibility. And, you know, we all know that you know, if you, it's no good looking at the risk of an opco in the UK if it's owned ultimately in the Cayman Islands because you can see the, the debt in the form of group balances that disappear offshore. But what you don't know is what's lurking offshore. And it might be good news because there might be all sorts of value offshore. But it might not. It might be much mm. worse than you think. You think it is. How can you see? And so, also, I think
1: that's that point about you know p- thinking about the behaviour and motivations um, for this type of investment. And there, you know, there's nothing. There's nothing wrong. But I think it's very clear that private equity is not an emotional investment. It is about return. And therefore, yeah. any any um, offloading of companies that aren't performing is done on a very mm unemotional basis which is perhaps not necessarily you know in the UK we'd perhaps expect group companies to to help support and um, and kind of pull through together and that isn't really the the way these companies operate.
0: I I agree so I mean I think I think my final message is just be very aware of who is responsible for honouring the obligations that are your risk
1: well thank you um nick that was really always interesting to um, to hear your 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 take on this and many years experience and i think i suppose just to wrap up i, I, I my feeling this week is that the, that cliche of being in uncertain times is very apt and it, you know it'll be something that we've said since march and we'll carry on saying to the end of the year but i feel like we're almost at this very delicately balanced point at the moment where both the pessimists and optimists can claim that the data backs up their their view of what's going to happen um and we'll see that over the, the coming weeks and months, who is who is more right. And I guess at the moment the my position is plan for the worst and hope for the um hope for the best. And I think Nick you've given us some really good advice on the kind of planning that we should all be all be doing. So thank you. Thank you very, very much indeed. That's all from us this week. Thanks again to Nick, to you all for listening. Until next time. Goodbye.